0: But I'm thankful for this series over these past few weeks. uh, Matthew Craft started off our series of David talking about small beginnings. Last week, Alex Hanvey brought the preach and was talking about the persecuted king and and looked at David. And we just see so many similarities of David's heart to Jesus' heart. And we're going to kind of continue down that because over these past few series, we started off with our Ruth series. Today, we're continuing our David series. What we've really been unpacking is how to be men and women of God not godly men and women. And I know I say that a lot, but there's a clear distinction. In this world right now, there are godly men and women who know the word of God, but they don't live it. They, they go to, they're they at church right now on Sunday morning and they got all the answers. They got it all together. They're looking at where people are sitting and they're judging them. But there are men and women of God that understand none of us have it together. But the grace of God alone through Christ Jesus, we even got to get up out of bed this morning. I know right now when I went to go put on my lipstick this morning, There we go. See, somebody's listening. That's all that matters. But I know one of the two feet hit the ground this morning. It's a blessing. And so that's what we want to do. We not only want to know the Word of God, we want to live the Word of God. And how we do that is in how we love God and love others. And so today, I'm so thankful you are gathering with us because today, you know, if I'm in the house, we're going to have a little fun. But today, what we're going to be learning through is this Do you have the stones? Do you have the stones? I'm not talking the rolling stones like you're getting ready. to. I'm saying, do you have the stones? Each and every one of us have an idea, and we probably went to a crazy place when you hear this, but I promise you it has to do with the Word of God today. When I when I was getting ready for this, I was laughing growing up. Uh, my mother used to always have problems with kidney stones. I have problems with kidney stones. So when your doctor tells you it's not hereditary, they're wrong because uh, they will do everything. But if you've ever had kidney stones, my mother could not pass them. She had to have surgery. By God's grace alone, thank you, Jesus. I can pass them. And I know you say, well, doesn't that hurt? Yeah, but I can do it at home. I don't have to go to the hospital for it. So I'm thankful. But if you've ever had that, my grandfather used to, uh, I remember growing up, he would go, every time my mom would go in the hospital, he'd go put some gravel stones in a vial and joke around with me and say, this is what they got out of your mama, these stones right here. And so I always laugh when we have that. And the reason that that matters is one time uh, he had a big old vial. And growing up, my cousin and I, see this, if you can see this, you can see somebody's got better vision than I do. It says, Tyler West, August 1992. Can anybody? Okay. One time, uh, my cousin and I, who's 10 days younger than me, we got one of these little things. You know what I mean? Anybody know what this is? You know what this is made of? I had a flat tire on my BMX, and this is the inner liner of the flat tire. This is shoe leather. Uh, And we got to make this. I didn't know how to do the wooden thing. My papa made it. Praise God he did, because it would be... Uh, the arm would probably be out here. I'm not a master craftsman or a woodworker. But we got a hold of those stones one time. And there was some windows in an old house. But we didn't do it. Casper did. So I will say for that, we got in trouble. I remember this thing getting taken from me more than I want to imagine. When I messed with the wrong stones, I picked up the wrong stones. And that's what we're going to walk through today. You see, this little slingshot is a very big reminder. When I heard this story that we're going to go through growing up in church, I always went to my little slingshot right here, my little Dennis the Menace slingshot here. But the important thing that we have to be reminded of is this was a little bit different slingshot that David had in the familiar story we all know uh, probably. Well, there is no probably. If you've grown up in church or not, you've heard the story of David and Goliath. So today, if you've got your Bible, let's get to 1 Samuel 17. Uh, We're going to go through a few different verses. We're basically going to walk through 1 Samuel 17, most of it today. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and get there. If you don't have your Bible, as always, we've got them free for the asking over in the garden. Uh, So go grab one of those. Uh, You can also follow along with us on our Vine Church app. You go to the vine.tv slash app. It'll ask for your phone number when you do that. It'll let you get in our information hub is our Vine Church app. There's a Bible, a place where you can take notes and all that crazy good stuff today. But also, say it all the time because I'm so thankful for how blessed we are at the Vine. Uh, wherever you're watching around the world, in the house, or throughout the week, uh, our Vine production team, Zach, is going to make sure that it's on the screen uh, wherever you are. It's somewhere in this vicinity. If I start to get out of control, he raises it up where you just see the full screen, and he sings, you raise me up. No, they just... It, it, tough crowd so here we go do you have the stones we're going to start in first Samuel 17 verse 3 very familiar story so if you've got your Bible let's hop let's hop in if you're with me, give me an amen. amen we got to have amens in the house of the Lord so let's go do it verse 3 says this the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them a champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp his height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat, scale of armor, uh, a coat uh, of scale armor of bronze weighing five thousand shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. And his spear shaft was like a, re- a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed six hundred shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So now all of a sudden we see this, two, two armies are stacked up. If you were to actually, there are two valleys where they think this happened uh, right now. They, they, they're kind of close to each other. But long story short, what ends up happening is the Philistines actually have a hill behind them. The Israelites actually have the high ground on a mountain. And in between them is this valley. And so the reason they did that is whoever attacked the other was at a disadvantage. They were going to give up the high ground, okay? So that is where they were, and this guy named Goliath comes out, and the word champion that they give here actually means man in the two middles because he's the only one standing there outside of his armor bearer. So like when I go out there, I just I think like uh, yeah, I'm gonna bring wrestling so y'all will laugh. It's for you, Mama. You'll laugh uh, all the way through. Uh, he had Jim Cornette or Bobby Heenan, right? Like he had one of those guys. He had he had uh, you know just he's out there. The mouth of the South was going out there. Colonel Parker, if you will. He had somebody in front of him announcing him, his manager. Nowadays it's like Paul Heyman is where that is. But anyway, I don't get to watch wrestling too much like I used to. But he had a little message. Bear. So imagine being his armor bearer going out in front of him, and he. He's towering high, so it's Goliath. Goliath is the champion. So the man of two middles. Champion literally means splendor. So in other words, people are in awe of him because he is just so tall. Depending on what version of the Bible you read, he's between eight foot eight inches tall and nine foot nine inches tall. So I would say, let's say about ten feet. If you wonder what ten feet, how high ten feet is, remember white men can't jump. It's a basketball goal height. All right, ten feet. Ten feet. That's how tall. Goliath would have been coming out there. So we understand as a champion, he is in the middle. There is no one out there with him but his armor bearer. He's getting everybody fired up. He's working the crowd. And he's saying some things to Israel about Israel and their God. But he's got this armor on really quick just to think about what he's wearing. This coat of scale, we would know it as chain mail if you know what I'm talking about. And no, I'm not talking about the spam that you get. Like the chain mail that goes under a knight's uniform in the middle, e- medieval times. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, chain mail it was 200 pounds. 200 pounds. Mm, that's a piggyback ride right there. I'm like, you know, you could get that. Anyway, he could take me somewhere. Mm. I went to Princess Bride for a minute, and I shouldn't have. So 200 pounds. The point of his spear was 25 pounds, like the end of his spear itself. Like imagine, like, you've got that, like 25 pounds, and he's going to actually throw it. It's at the end of his spear. So we know, unfortunately, Goliath's a Florida State fan, so we're going to pray for him because I'm a Florida State guy, and he's got a spear. So it's 25 pounds. So this goes on. Israel is standing on one side. The Philistines on the other, Goliath comes and meets him in the middle for 40 days. Man, doesn't that sound familiar? 40 days, he meets him in the middle. He's screaming at him, and he says, hey, I'm the champion of the Philistines. You send your champion to me, and if I beat him, then you will be our slaves. Basically, we'll take you back to Egypt. But if you beat me, we'll be your slaves, and you can do whatever you want with us. Saul and all the army is just sitting back. Now, this is important to be reminded of. Now, remember, Saul was chosen because he was the tallest in all of Israel. And it said he was the best looking when he was the first king. So the tallest guy in Israel sitting in his tent in his chair while everybody else is doing everything. You know, he's got the tent closed, enjoying life. And instead, all the Israelites are on the front line hearing Goliath scream at them and blast them. And so they shrink in fear. So getting ready to this, as we continue to dive into this story, Matthew Henry is one of the commentaries. I like to read a lot whenever we get ready and I'm preparing for a a message. And his commentary on this, on those verses specifically, says this, men so entirely depend upon God in all things that when he withdraws his help, the most valiant and resolute cannot find their hearts or hands as daily experience shows. When God withdraws himself, so remember, we just went through David being anointed king. If you hung out with us on Thursday night, we talked about that a little more. What that means is the spirit of God has now left Saul, and it rests upon David, even though he does not have the title or the position of king yet. So God is not with the army. David, we're about to see him, he's out keeping sheep. That's where the spirit of the Lord is. He's not with the army on the front line. And so because of that, they're stuck in fear. They don't know which way to go, which way is up. And so that's where we're going to pick up. So 40 days and 40 nights, David is going. His father says, hey, go check on your brothers. Make sure they're good. He gives them some wine and cheese. Does that sound like war talk? Wine and cheese, right? Like, go get them some bread, some wine and cheese. Take care of them. See how they are and bring me a report back. So if you want to skip down to verse 25. We just covered a lot of verses. Get excited. Uh, Verse 25, David shows up. And Goliath comes out and challenges, and this is what happens in verse 25. It says, now the Israelites had been saying, do you see this man that keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage. And look at this. Man, this is a highlight in every Bible. Will exempt his family from taxes in Israel? Man, hey, that's worth dying for. Let's go. Like, death and taxes. Think about that. Like, right? He's excited. No taxes, right? Verse 26, David asked the man standing near him what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should stand and defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. So look at this. All the way through, the Israelites say, excuse me, they're saying that Goliath is defying the armies of Israel. But what is David's response in verse 26 and 27? He says this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Can you see that Israel and David are fighting two different battles? See, Israel is fighting to not go into slavery, David is fighting from the victory of the Lord and saying, I ain't worried about the slavery. I'm worried about this man putting my God down and saying that he isn't who he says he is. That's a big difference. See, we don't see that many times. The reason that the Israelites shrink back in fear is they're saying, oh no, oh no, we've already been through the Passover once. Oh no, we're not gonna go back to that. Literally, though, in their unbelief, they're marching right into that later on down the line, right? We've talked about that going into Babylonian captivity. So David is on a different plane than the people of Israel. He knows where his hope lies and where it comes from. But what's important, and I know I joked about taxes, is something that's missed. Now, back and forth, depending on the translation you read, it may not say taxes. Taxes in this time would have never been imposed on Israel unless King Saul did it. So in other words, King Saul is now telling the people to support him. And so they have to pay him a tax. The only tax was the temple tax. So now all of a sudden, not only is Saul going into, bay, into battle, he's now making the people finance him. That's a big deal because I didn't see that when Samuel anointed him that he said, hey, you should raise taxes from the people. <clears throat> mm-hmm. and he didn't say that. I mean, he probably believes taxation is theft. Anyway, we won't open that. We're not going to open that political argument. So all that to say, though, that's a big deal. Other translations say, I will exempt your family from military service. Now, we know how this story ends. We're going to celebrate it here in a minute. But did David not, was he exempt from military service after this? He actually went deeper into military service. As a matter of fact, the reason that Saul would give his daughter is by killing Goliath, that would give you the position of royalty, And we won't open all that mess that's going on with that right now. But his son, he would be the son-in-law of the king. So now all of a sudden, he would be a royal family, and he wouldn't have to go into military service. What's Saul doing right here? Is he fighting the battle in front of Israel? We know when Saul finally dies, it's because he fights the battle in front of Israel. But he's not fighting the battle in front of Israel. He's just worried about how much longer he can be king. So David goes to volunteer to fight Goliath. And you know how the story goes. What happens is Saul looks at him and says, David, 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 I'm taller than you, dude. This guy has been a champion. He has been fighting this Goliath since he was but a wee little boy who was still taller than you. What do you think you have that can beat Goliath? Now, remember, Israel said God wasn't doing it for them, so they needed a king to point to God. And here the king is saying, David, what do you have that can beat Goliath? So David answers right here in verse 34. Go ahead and go down a little bit deeper to 34 through 37. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, and I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies, here it is again, of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Look at this, like he's excited. So here's what David is telling Saul. I know what I'm fighting from. I'm fighting from the Lord's victory, not mine. As a matter of fact, he's telling Saul, I don't need an audience to beat anybody. Now, fathers in the room that have sons, and those of us who are sons, let me ask you, and even moms on this. I know we're attacking this as a men's series, but think about this. Do you not think Jesse would have been okay if David would have let a sheep get away to a lion or bear, but David not be killed? Wouldn't Jesse be okay with that? Now, this is why David is a man after God's own heart. He wouldn't even let one lamb get away before he fought it off. And I love how he does this, is how he says this, how it's like I can see it right now. He's fighting the bear, like he's grabbing it by the mane, and just boom. That's what I think of. You know, I, I go straight Braveheart or, you know, Gladiator. I get excited about it. But realistically, when it looked at the battle, he likely killed it or knocked it unconscious with his staff, and then he killed it. His staff. His staff, Psalm 23, he's about to pull his staff here in a minute. What does it say? Uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. thy rod and thy staff comfort me. So David's saying, hey, Saul, I don't need an audience. But what's funny after this is, remember, Saul kills his thousands, but David is how much? Ten thousands, right? So David's saying, hey, I don't need an audience. I need an audience of one, and that's the Lord. The rest will take care of itself. Saul is worried about everybody else in the kingdom and what they're going to say if they lose. So what ends up happening here for David, that's so important for us, is he knows where his hope is found. He says this uncircumcised Philistine. So what that literally means, the uncircumcised, anytime you hear that in the Old Testament, that is us as Gentiles. That is us outside of the people of God who haven't gone through the Jewish ritual and the Jewish rite of becoming Jewish. Philistine literally means foreigner. Isn't that cool? So when you, if, you, if you just want to have a, maybe like a, a, something that's there, you know, a bunch of Philistines, you'll know what people mean when I say that. That's, that's it. They can't speak in code. It literally means people that are not only outside the will of God, but they are foreigners. But remember, the Philistines were in the promised land before Israel goes in. <laughs> now they are foreigners. Why? Because God's promise is more important. So Saul goes, he gets him together, and he, he gets him. you know, he's excited. He's like, all right, I don't have to fight this battle. So he goes and puts his armor on David. And you know how the story goes. He's like the tin man. You know, it doesn't quite fit. Why? Because remember, Saul is taller than David. Saul is the tallest man in the land, so nothing fits. So like David goes to put, I'm imagining, you know, like the, the, the arm, armor on and it hangs down to here. You know, it's kind of like career day. You put on dad's suit or something. And it's just too big. And what does David say here in verse 40? You got your Bible. He says, I can't wear this stuff. I'm not used to it. Verse 40 says what David does. Then he takes his staff in his hands. He chooses five smooth stones from the stream. He puts them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approaches the Philistine. Now, if you were to read this to Saul and David, you know, I I said medieval times. I think about this. I think of the joust. It would kind of like be jousting without a suit on. No helmet and a broom handle, <laughs> when the other guy, you know, is there, or or uh, you know, just sitting there going into combat without a sword. It didn't make sense what David was bringing with him, but I just want to—we're going to unpack this a little more in a second. But let me ask you: David said, "I'm coming empty-handed to the Lord," and we shared this during Ruth, and I'm going to continue to share it. Maybe it's just because the Lord knows I need to hear it all the way to all the time. When the Lord empties your hands, it's to fill it back up again. See, we don't like that. Empty hands is uncomfortable, but the only place to full surrender is with empty hands and open hearts, isn't it? We know that, but we don't like that. And we think God isn't going to meet us in our emptiness but, emptiness, but I will tell you it's in our emptiness that God does the greatest thing. Is it not? Why? Because we have the most potential in our emptiness. If I'm carrying a, a, a spear that has a 25-pound head and 200 pounds of armor plus I'm weighed down by something other than what the Lord has called me to carry... Therefore, I can't be all that God created me to be. But David said, look, I can't have all that stuff. I will carry what I know because what is the armor that David is wearing? The armor of the Lord. We know that. We talk about that. That's what Paul is really unpacking in the New Testament is as we talk about the armor of the Lord, that is what he is wearing, the full armor of the Lord. So David goes and he, it says, he takes his staff in his hand and he chooses five smooth stones from the stream. Now." we talked about numbers and things when it comes to this in the, in the Word of God. The number five, anytime you see that in the, in the Bible, is actually symbolic of God's grace. God's grace is the number five. He picks five smooth stones. That's very important. See, a smooth stone in a sling, see, a jagged stone we would think would come out of here better. But let me ask you something. Let's just be real. How many jagged bullets shoot out of your gun well? Not many. Pretty smooth, right? Why is that? Because you have better trajectory. It actually hits the target better. It comes out of the sling better. So David bends down and he picks up five smooth stones. Now the reason that it matters that it's smooth stones is that is right near uh, in this valley, both valleys that this could happen, there's a river that runs on the Israelite side right near the middle. So David would have gone to the middle and Goliath would have seen him coming when he picks up these stones, smooth stones. Why does that matter? Smooth stones, they're not jagged. They've actually been shaped by the water. And to be shaped by the water, can water sit still and shape a rock, or must it be moving? Moving, so therefore it is living. So see, by God's grace, David is fighting from the living water and picking up what God has called him to carry by his grace, and that's what he brings into battle. Not what he thinks he needs, not what he thinks he wants, not what anything else. It is the grace of God that he picks up and he carries into battle. And I don't know about you and me, and I'm looking at God, I'm going to be like, God, I, no, I need that with me. What's that? What that guy's got? That's what I want. That's what I need to battle. And David doesn't even do that. He takes them, he slides them in his pouch, he has his sling and he has his staff, and he's ready to go. He works from the Lord. So as he approaches the Philistine, now we know. That he is stepping into battle, and we're about to see God, the God of, the creator God, the God of the universe, the God who made you and I take the impossible and make it possible. Because if you and I were outside of this, it would be impossible that he could kill Goliath. But let's look what happens. Verse 45 to 51. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching down in his bag, he took out one stone. He took out a stone of the five. He slung it, and it struck the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took a hold of the Philistine's sword. He drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned And ran so important like we know this and it's easy to gloss over this but look seemingly insignificant things David took into battle insignificant things but he had the right armor on he had the armor of God on that we have in Christ Jesus seemingly a little stone so many times don't we tell the Lord the insignificant things God you can't use that You can't do that. There's no way that you can bless that or make that be what it was supposed to be. There's no way. That's insignificant, but it's the very insignificant thing that God worked through. And so for each and every one of us, as we see the story of David and Goliath, I want us to always remember the the mindset of David, the battle that David is fighting, the Lord's battle. The battle that Israel is fighting is the world's battle. Believe it or not, in this moment in time, Saul is really no different than Goliath. Because what ends up happening is, see, David's battle, he says all the way through in verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give us, he will give you into our hands. He ends verse 46 saying, the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. What you see in Saul's demeanor after this he didn't care if the world knew there was a God in Israel. All he knew is David killed his 10,000 and Saul's only killed his 1,000. He wanted the world to know there's a king in Israel. David said, I want the world to know of the king. Different battle. And so the question is for us, when we go into our battles, what battle are we fighting? What's the battle that we are stuck with? See, because Goliath, was covered in everything that he was supposed to wear to make him safe. A 10-foot dude, and literally, some would say perhaps there was a mask. I don't know. I always think a gladiator in the mask that came down. But the thing that killed him is literally right here in his helmet. If David would have hit the side of his head, it would have done no good. If David would have tried to pierce his armor, it would have done no good. If David would have tried to kill his... Strike his Achilles heel and kill him that way. It would have done no good. To Goliath, he was protected, not just with his protection, but his size, but the armor that he placed on himself. Where am I going with this? So many of us think the things of this world is protecting us. Our health, our finances, our job, our family, our address, our car. We think all of these things are our protection, and we'll say, God, I got this part. You go bless the rest. But David said, God, I can't be a part of the rest unless you bless it all, and therefore that's what I move from. And so for us, that's the question. What battle do we fight? Do we fight the right battle is what I'm trying to get at. For those who are married, we've walked through this so many times. If you're married, you got to know when to fight and when not to fight. Otherwise, you're always fighting. And the married couples got quiet. For real, though, think about it dad joke for you. You're ready. Here we go. Got to get the tension down. Uh, Online, there was a kid telling his dad a joke. He said, I I broke up with my girlfriend today. And he said, why? What happened? He said, well, I told her I loved her like I love going out on the trail. And she said, "Aw, you love me that much because you love going out on and hiking on a trail. And he said, yeah, our love is like a trail. It's got some rocky places and it's ups and downs she said, man, that's so good. He said, but here's the thing. All we're doing is walking around in circles. Badoosh, you're stuck. So nobody's been hiking. Hey. Uh, that being said, a hike, get it? You're going up a mountain. Somebody's been hiking. Get it. Oh. Y'all, we'll see you next week, folks. Y'all let me know how this goes. I'm just it's For real. So think about that. When you fight, that's all you're doing is going in circles is what I'm trying to tell you. Many times a fight is worthless. It's actually a root to it. So David knows what the root of the problem is. That same commentary, Matthew Henry, says it this way about us when we have the things of this world we think protects us. It says, he says this, See how frail and uncertain life is. Even when man thinks himself best fortified, how quickly, how easily, and how small a matter, a little stone. The passage may be open for life to go out and death to enter. Let not the strong man glory in his strength nor the armed man and his armor. So I bring all that up to say the small thing. A little bitty stone is what killed Goliath. I will tell you, my mother, with all of her kidney stone issues, there at least once, but I know twice that I can remember. So I'm going to say at least once. The doctor said she died on the table from kidney stones. She just always had to have them. I mean, she changed her diet. She did everything, but I mean, she always had problems with kidney stones. And so when I was reading this, that what, it, it isn't what killed her, but think about that. If they had to sit there and shock her back to life at that moment in time, that little bitty insignificant thing. See, for us, we can think we have all the protection of the world, but one little thing, one little thing stops. One One little heartbeat misses. One little fall breaks a hip. One little fall does this, and all of a sudden, completely opens the door to death. See, Goliath thought that he would always defy death. As a matter of fact, when you talk about where he is, he isn't even with the army. He's ahead of the army. And so they have put all of their faith in him. But you see what's beautiful about this story as in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 24, 16, if you read about this, if you want to go to Leviticus, I'm just kidding, you're not. Everybody gets excited about Leviticus. It tell, God tells Israel the crime for blasphemy. The crime of blasphemy the sin of blasphemy against God, remember we will we, we'll unpack a little bit more, is this death by stoning of, by the congregation so let's, let's kind of we've heard this before, so in the church the reason Stephen was stoned as the first martyr is because to the Jews he was blaspheming the name of God by saying Jesus is the son of God and the Messiah right? So godly men and women said he has to die Men and women of God realize he's the son of God. That's what we're unpacking in this. So, what does Goliath do? He is telling Israel their God is worthless. He is blaspheming the name of the Lord, and that's the righteous indignation. That's the battle David fights It's blasphemy. So, remind me again, how does Goliath die? With what? One thing? What was it? A, A stone. Whoa! So, God still kills Goliath with a stone for blasphemy. Think about that. David got to be a part of that because he walked in faithful obedience. He understood the battle that was being fought. Now later in David's life when he messes up With, uh, as we hear, the, the, the wife of Uriah or Bathsheba, David had stayed home instead of going to the battle that the Lord told him to go to. Saul misses out on the victory because he stayed in his tent and in the caves in fear instead of going into the battle the Lord called him to go into. So why does that matter? We have to understand the right battles to fight. Some battles aren't worth fighting. Some battles actually do more harm to the Lord's name, even if you're right by what the Word of God says. Does it mean that you distort the Word of God? No, you just let the Word of God do the work. You don't have to argue. The truth of the gospel is offensive in itself. I don't know where, how old you were when you got saved, or if you even know who Jesus is, but I'm telling you, the gospel offends. You don't need my take on it. Just read it. Read the red letters. Read it. You will know. It will offend you because when you are in sin, it is offensive. And so, so many times we try to have these provocative tweets back and forth, don't we? Just to try to get the shock and awe. And God don't need that. He don't need my help. He's already done it. He's saying if I'll follow him, he will help me get to be a part of him doing his work, right? It's a big difference. Knowing the battle to fight. So, this is why we're unpacking this today really quickly. What I love about David is the two things, we've talked about this a lot of times, we usually talk about this when it comes to free will, and it's this, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Now specifically, we unpack this a lot when we read about Esther last year, okay? And when we do, a lot of times when we do, what does the Bible say about, or you ask for it, we talk about this. What does that mean? God's sovereignty was the battle was going to be won. The Israelites were not going in the Philistine hands that day. When we look at Esther, Mordecai tells Esther, How, who, what, what better time is a time like this that the Lord has you in the palace? Don't you think that if you don't step up and go to the king for the rescue of God's people, that you will not surely die with him and he will send someone else to do it? Same thing. Whether David stepped up or not, that day somebody was going to step up at some point in the Philistines be defeated. God's sovereignty, his victory, his, his, he is over it all. But here's the difference. When we talk about free will, man has a responsibility. We can't save ourselves by our works. We only have good works by our salvation of, because of God's sovereignty through Christ Jesus. So this is what I'm saying. Had David said, man, I can fit some of Saul, Saul's armor on, I don't need none of these pebbles. I don't need my staff, I just need a sword, and I got this. I've been training for American Ninja Warrior. I got it. I don't need any of this stuff. But instead, he had to step down by God's grace, that five, receive God's grace, the living water, and walk and operate in that. That's a big difference. See, for me, I want to have the old schematic, like how tall is Saul again? Where's the weakness at? What do I need to do, and how do I need to make that work? And David didn't have any of that. He just said, hey, the Lord's going to deliver me, so I'm going to walk in faithful obedience. It's his responsibility. Same thing for our salvation. Jesus has done the work. The question is, will we receive that free gift of salvation he has done the work for? We have a part to play in it. Now, David got to be a part of the greater blessing because he walked in faith for it. So what, what, why are we unpacking all of this and why does it matter? Well, if for each and every one of us, you hear me a lot of times say, hey, uh, that, why we invite and invest in our friends and family. Jesus can grow anything. Hey, your business, Jesus can grow. But if nobody knows what your business is, why would you be mad at God for your business not doing well? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like if, if, I, if I'm a mechanic and I work on cars and I got black hands all the time, people think I'm one of two things, a mechanic or a meth head. I know that sounds awful, but I'm selling, right? But that because they don't smell ammonia, they know I'm not selling meth. And I have my teeth. But some mechanics don't have all their teeth, so we don't want to have that pre-qualification. So that being said, though, if I don't tell anybody about it, why would I be mad at God for growing? I can be on my knees all day long. David could have been by that river all day long. Oh, Lord, just, just help me find a way to beat this giant. I don't know. And like the Lord's like, Pick up, do you got the stones, David? Pick them up, they're right there. Lord, I'm just not hearing you. I don't know what's going on. David, look down at the stones, just pick them up. Lord, I hope you bring, if you let me be the champion today, I'll do it. That should sound like our prayer, right? If I can just get through this, Lord, and he's like, listen, (laughs) listen to me. No, but Lord, that don't work for me. No, 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 no. I, I, I need that. Let's have a different way. Let's have a different way. But David understood, Lord, whatever your way is, reveal it to me and let me walk in it. And I know whether the world calls it loss or gain, it'll be your victory. See, that's the battle we have to fight. So, why are we sharing this during the men's series again? We have to know what battle we're fighting because I would move to say in our world today, as men, we fight the wrong battles sometimes. I'm just going to be honest with you. And let me tell you where I'm coming from with this. Uh, Growing up, You'll laugh, and I'm not going to do it. Maybe I will at the end as a surprise. I'm sure, I know there's a video somewhere of it. So, so I, uh, I took karate in elementary school, uh, fourth grade. Uh, and uh, my mom always said, if you do something, you got to do it all the way through. You got to do a full season, okay? So I did that, and I, I got to my first competition. So, you know, I, I, I'm getting there. I've got my kaki going. i got my gi on, and we're getting ready to do, and it was American karate, so we were getting ready to spar. Now, we sparred all the time. In karate, like it just happened, you know. So you've got pads on, you got a helmet, you got your your two your two uh, your two pads on your feet and your two pads on your hands, you know. You kind of just so you can punch and kick. And so what ends up happening is I get to the final of this sparring competition. It was that dormant, like it was exciting, like this is really cool. I'm about to win. And I go and I had I, I did a combo back in the day. Uh, you laugh, but mine was always back fist, body punch. That was always it. And I would do that and a roundhouse. I'm not doing it now because you'll hear a split house uh, all the way through, but. Uh, what I would do is that was just the move that I, I, I liked, so I would do it a lot. And whenever I did the back fist, the kid's nose, I, it just started gushing blood. And I walked away. I didn't even finish the fight. I lost the fight because I walked away. And some would say that, and you would say like, whoa, well, what? Well, see, let me tell you something. So since, you know, since my father had been killed by a drunk driver, my mom, my sister... Uh, They did the best they could. My Papa Joe dies when I'm in sixth grade. He does the best I could. I had played football in the yard. My mom wouldn't let me play it until I was in middle school. More on that in a second. But the reason that I walked away from that is it's the first time in my life that I realized I could physically hurt somebody, and it scared me because I didn't know what to do with that as a man. What flooded me was, am I going to be an abuser? Am I going to end up in jail? Like That's literally what I thought. Because I'm thinking, I just, I mean, I'm not, my brain doesn't comprehend the salt at the time, but that's basically what I'm saying is like, I literally just hurt this person. Now, I was the one being bullied growing up. I wasn't the bully, and then all of a sudden when I started playing sports, everybody left me alone. So, why does that matter? Well, you see, I didn't understand something. Something was missing. I didn't get that that there was something there, and I I was wrestling with God, like, what does this mean? Well, I started, my mom started to let me, so I had played baseball, basketball, and I did that karate, so baseball is what I had played most of, and it's important, everybody's like, you're about to tell me something about sports, it doesn't make sense what you're about to say, but hear me out. I didn't understand the significance of that until I went to seventh grade, and I started playing football, and what I realized um, in that, and why, why I loved football so much, is I understood that I could harness that hurt. I could harness how I inflicted punishment. Now, this sounds really bad, but I could harness that. Okay, so now I can control it. I couldn't control a bloody nose. I was scared of that. I didn't know what to do. But now football, it's a one-on-one battle. It's a team sport, but it's a one-on-one battle. I can do that. So then I get to high school and I wrestle, and dear God, it's definitely a one-on-one battle even though it's a, it's a team sport. While I played football, I had wrestled in the offseason. So what am I getting with that? You and I as men have to understand this. We are created to be warriors. We are created to fight for our family. We are created to fight. I know that that sounds insane and people think, oh gosh, he's going off the deep end. But hear me out. Men, you're created to be warriors. Fathers who have sons, sons roughhouse. It don't mean girls don't roughhouse. I'm saying sons roughhouse for a reason. They are created to be warriors. Why? Because you were made in the image of God. Because he fought for you. That is who we are to our family. We are warriors. And so for me in fourth grade at that karate, that I didn't understand I was a warrior. Whoa, 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 what do you mean? Like I can't, I can hurt somebody, I can inflict punishment, what do I do with that? And all of a sudden the Lord showed me through football with my hard head, he had to make sure I had a helmet on to do it, right? Like through football, how that can be controlled and how I could understand how to fight the right battle. See, I had to beat the man in front of me and I trusted the guy beside me was going to meet the man in front of him and why did I do that? Because I was fighting for him and he was fighting for me. But I couldn't beat the guy who was in front of the other guy because that was not the guy I was supposed to be That is not the battle that I could win as much as I wanted to help that person win I had to beat the battle in front of me and men in this world What we have is a bunch of men who don't know that they are warriors and they're fighting the wrong battles They're fighting a cultural war. They're fighting a political war. They're fighting against the church They're not fighting the right battle even men of God because you don't understand you're a warrior And so you put out the tweet, you put out the post, you judge, you condemn. I'm guilty of it as well. All of us, Pharisee heart me is guilty of that as all of us are. But Jesus is reminding us today to fight the right battle. What do I mean? The gospel itself is offensive. I will tell you, it was the love of the person who pointed me to Jesus that made the difference. Not them putting me down for my sin. Does it mean that they didn't tell me that I was a useless wreck of a human being in my sin? They absolutely did, because that's the truth of the gospel. And right now, we are fighting the wrong battles. We are trying to fight out—listen, uh, and, and, and I, I don't want to get cultural—we we, we, want to fight the bathroom and you can stand and fight. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if my niece or one of these girls in this church, and your tail walks in there, you better know God because you're going to meet him. And the Lord will deal with me, but you're going to meet him because I don't care. You're not going in there. So we'll make that clear today. So I'm not telling you that you can't stand on a principle in the Lord. I'm telling you though, that's not going to be the hill I die on for the Lord. Now if you go try it, We'll find out if you'll die for the Lord or that or not. Like I said, I I could care less. Get your film camera ready because you'll die. No, I'm just kidding. That was a sidekick, and that was really terrible. So all that to say, we have to fight the right battle. Men, fight for your families. It's the right battle to fight. No matter what your boss says, no no matter what the world says you should do, fight the right battle because you were made for it, because you know what? In the end, men, you will give an account for your family, just as I will give an account for this church. That is why this is set up this way in God's structure. But you see, you, some of us are like me in fourth grade, you don't understand, that's scary. Because now you're like, okay, so I have the power to do something. See, Saul had the power to do something against Goliath, and he sat back in fear, just like I did in the fourth grade. It wasn't until I got into seventh grade that I understood to be like David that I could actually step into it in the Lord and that have meaning, understanding that there are battles the Lord has created for you to be a part of, not mad at him that you got to fight it, but understanding that. And so for us today, the question is, are we fighting the right battles? You know the wrong battle? Getting mad at a sinner because they sin. Getting mad at a lost person because they're at the bar on Saturday night and not in church on Sunday morning. The awkward silence for us all. Judging them because they ate the Krispy Kreme donut, (laughs) the last one out of the box, right? Fight the right battles. As a matter of fact, a sign you're fighting the wrong battles is that you fight with your family more than for your family. Doesn't mean you don't have skirmishes Fight the right battle. Why does that matter? As we've just read in our plan, your home is the first picture you have of God. I've shared it, and this is how I'll wrap up fighting the right battle. I'm not mad at God that my father wasn't there. But I struggled in my walk in Christ because my father wasn't there until it clicked. One of the prime examples was that karate tournament. I didn't, there wasn't a man that explained to me, yes, I knew, I knew what it meant to be a warrior, but like I was so afraid of what I could do to someone that I didn't realize why the Lord had built me, created me with that. Men, you have that. That's why when men abuse their wives, man, other dudes are ready to go fight because it's the wrong battle. It's the wrong battle. So we got to fight the right battle, church. The victory is God's, but we have to work through his grace, and by him, not for ourselves, but for him. So why does this matter when I say God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? Well, Jesus reminds us of this really quick in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verse 7 through 8 says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. See God's sovereign timing will always come to pass. It is not our job to sit on the sidelines waiting for God's timing to come to pass. What we are called to do in Christ Jesus is step in faithful obedience while he brings his timing to pass. Big difference. I'm not sitting on the sidelines saying, God, I'm waiting for you. I'm not sitting at the creek telling God, I don't know what to do when the stones are sitting right there. David had the stones. He picked up the stones. That's what you and I are called to do, knowing when to fight the right battles in the Lord. We have to be a part of it. We have to step into it. Jesus does not still have us on this earth to not give him glory and not be a part of him building his church. The question is, do we want to be a part of it? And that's a hard thing to swallow. How do we be a part of it? Huh. I'll, I'll put it to you this way, and I hope you're listening because you promised you would say you were online. The place where they're fixing my transmission, great guy. He said, I can't make it this Sunday, but he said he's coming next. So when I pick that car up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a low jack on him somehow. We're going to get him to church next week, one way or the other. It was literally a simple conversation. He's saying, what do I do? And I said, it's not so much what do I do, it's how do I get to live. And he says, well, what do you do? And now, you're expecting me to say a pastor. And I said, no, I'm just a child of God, man. Every now and again, I get to share a word of God. He said, well, you seem pretty funny. So, so... Wait, so are you a pastor or something? Because he saw, honestly, the ring pops and the Capri. I honestly think he thought I was probably going to kidnap some kids or something because he saw a Capri Sun and ring pops in there, and I explained to him it was for Vine kids. And uh, then we started talking about church. But that's a simple conversation. You bring the Lord into every conversation, however you can. Did I direct that conversation? Absolutely not. The Lord did. He appointed it. I let it be happening in his time, not in my time. I didn't force it. I just said, Lord, use me. Let me be a part of it. I got empty hands. Let's go do it. Why do I have empty hands? Because he's got my keys, because my transmission's jacked up, right? Like, so that's all that we have to do. That's the right battle to fight. So Jesus says we don't sit on the sideline. We ask, we seek, we knock. And so I will go back to where we started. Do you have the stones? Do you have the stones to receive God's grace? Or are you going to go around with your stones trying to kill everyone else so that you can save yourself? Goliath, Goliath trusted his own stones. And David said, hey, this same stone that will kill you for blaspheming the name of God is the same stone that the builders rejected, the rock upon which our salvation will be built upon. And so when I say, do you have the stones? Do you have the stones? Do you have the rock? And those of us who do, I pray today, you're reminded to fight the right battle. And those of us who don't, maybe you are putting yourself, you are picking up the stones of this world, shielding yourself in the stones of this world, and your help that will surely fade, and your job that will surely go away, your position that someone else will fill the moment you're no longer in it, the house that will be sold the moment you pass away, the house and the car, that, the car that will eventually break down, the career that will eventually end, the bank account that seems to always go to zero, no matter how hard I try to keep it there, no matter what, the things of this world will die and fade away. But the one thing that won't is Christ Jesus. The one way to life is Christ Jesus. The only salvation we have is in Christ Jesus. And so today, Jesus says this in Revelation three twenty. Here I am. I stand and knock at the door. Ask, seek, knock. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. The question is, have you opened the door if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in and eat with that person and they with me god's sovereignty we get to live on this side of the cross jesus lived the perfect sinless life you and i couldn't live he fought the battle for us he won the battle for us he didn't just he didn't just live the perfect life making us righteous which actually allows us to open the door to God's presence, he now all of a sudden goes and pays the eternal sacrifice for our sins. He dies for us. So not only can we now open the door to be in the presence of God. We could sit at the presence of God, but Jesus said, hey, I'm not done with it yet. I'm going to rise again on the third day so that you not only can just sit at the presence with God for eternity, you can do it right now. You get to live out who you were created to be on this side of eternity. And so the question is, are you trying to save yourself or have you received Christ? We're about to say a prayer. It's not the words of this prayer that saves you. It's the faith that Jesus is who he says he is. We always pray out loud as a family together and the reason that we do that is no one prays alone in the family of God but it's the words of the prayer it's the words it's it's not the words it's the faith of the prayer the words that we're saying is in faith we are confessing Jesus as Lord of our life we are trusting that the battle is his we are understanding that anything else that is not Christ is only death and so with every head bow and every eye closed today Please pray out loud and repeat these words after me for the benefit of those coming to faith for the first time. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the perfect sinless life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve, paying the penalty for my sins on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. With every head bow and every eye closed, whether you're in the house or you're online right now, if it's for the first time, you have surrendered your life to Christ. You have confessed and repented of your sins, and by faith, you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I'm gonna ask you to boldly raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. If you're in the house, you can raise your hand. If you're online, you can have a raised hand in our comment. As a matter of fact, if you're listening throughout the week, you can reach out to us by leaving a comment with a raised hand or shoot us a message on social media or even through our Free Vine Church app. And for the rest of us, if you want to go ahead and look up and stand, we're about to step into a a moment of worship. And when we do that, remember I told you Goliath's name means what? Splendor. As we go into this moment of worship, would we have empty hands and open hearts to just be reminded of the wonder and splendor of God? Would we be reminded when we see the heavens, when we see the stars, when we see his creation, how small our problem is and how big our God is? Would you sing with us?
1: thy hands have made I see the stars shall fill my heart, then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great
0: I was just joking. We're going to start the message now. Uh, Yeah, let's do it. For real, if we don't get anything today, just be reminded of God's sovereignty. He's over it all. But our responsibility, the responsibility we have is whether we will follow him in his timing and be a part of the miracle. Or we sit back and get to tell a story about it. That's because someone else stepped into it. So as we go today, remember, fight the right battles, men. The right battles in who was president, who isn't president, how much taxes are or how much they aren't, what's going to happen in the next four years, all that stuff. Yeah, you can talk about that all day long, but if the name of the Lord isn't the first thing off of your mouth or out of your mouth and off of your lips, then we're fighting the wrong battle. Fighting the wrong battle. So let's go fight the right battles this week and love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as ourselves. Be praying up Austin Worley. He's going to be bringing the message next week. He's going to be bringing the preachers. We get to celebrate Father's Day I don't know if there'll be bacon, but there'll be some bacon something. We love you guys. We can't wait to see you then. And always remember the best is still yet to come.